Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Monday. Recorded live. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Dallas Death Discussion for Monday night, August 3rd. The waning days of summer, as I said uh, a minute ago. It's hard to believe, but we are already in August, and the beat goes on. We're always here on Monday nights. Haven't missed a Monday night. We're in our seventh year, and I don't have any plans to change that anytime soon, so you can always figure we're going to be here if you've got uh, maybe a situation you're dealing with or you got some really, really good news you want to spread out and tell everybody about. Well, we're here. We start the week off right with Dallas Death Discussion. But like I said, it's Dallas Debt Discussion. It's not the Dallas Debt Legal Advice Line. We don't ever give legal advice. We don't know how to give legal advice. I don't know what it is. I guess the lawyers know what it is. They say that that's that's what you can get from lawyers. Uh, So basically what we do is have a discussion of legal issues, usually related to debt in some way, shape, or form. We do get onto some other subjects at times, but uh, for the most part, it's Dallas debt discussion. So please keep in mind, if anything that you hear on this call sounds like legal advice, you're the one that's wrong. You're taking it wrong. Because if I or anybody else says anything about, oh, well, you want to do this or that uh, in your situation, please understand that what we're saying is that's what we do if we are in your position, if we are in a similar situation. We're not giving legal advice. We don't ever give advice. We give suggestions on what people should do based on our knowledge and our experience. And I can tell you that the moderators on this call, Terry, Jeff, John, myself, collectively have a fair amount of experience litigating in federal court. Uh, I personally have a lot of experience. That doesn't mean I'm any expert. I am not an expert. I've got a fair amount of knowledge, and I'm willing to share that absolutely free of charge because it doesn't cost you anything to get on this call. But the bottom line is, it's up to you to learn things. We work with the information that's in Jesse's website. You hear us talk about the website. If there's anybody new on here, I want to let you know where you can find Jesse's website. All you have to do is open a browser and type in knockoutcollectors.net, and it'll take you right to Jesse's website. All you got to do is put in your name and your email address where the uh, place is there, and you'll see it right on the front page when you get there. That is an opt-in for spam just so that you can get uh, emails from them. Everything's done above board. It's all done legally and everything. So that's how you get to Jesse's website. Uh, Is the website free? For you to look at the very basic stuff, yes, to get an idea of what's there. If you want access to everything, and I can tell you very safely that there is absolutely nothing else on the web like it, nothing, anywhere. The amount of information and the way it's categorized and brought out is 
second to none. There's nobody that has anything even close to it. But the beautiful thing is you can try it out for nothing. It does cost $99 for the first month and $49 a month thereafter. And you can be a member as long as you want, a month, two months, six months, two years, three years, four years. We have people that have been members for over four years. And when I say we, it's just us as a group. It's Jesse's website. I don't have anything to do with it other than contributing information and stuff, but I have no ownership interest, no financial interest in it. But the bottom line is uh, for you to get the information you need in an organized fashion to deal with the debt collection industry, you need to go to a place like Jesse's website because the information is organized, whether you're dealing with a foreclosure, possibly dealing with their, uh, the credit reporting agencies and problems with them, whether you're dealing with debt collectors, whether you want information on asset protection, um, how to make yourself judgment-proof. There's all sorts of information in there. But like I said, there's no risk. You can become a member and use it for 60 days. And if you decide, you know, this just isn't for me, it doesn't matter why, all you got to do is follow the procedure that you're given and you'll get a full refund of the money that you paid. So there's absolutely no risk to anybody to try it. But I can assure you, when you get there and start looking around, it'll be like, oh my God, I can't believe there's this much information here. Now, where do these calls like my call here on Monday night, when I say my call, I'm the one that just sets it up and runs it. It's actually your call. It's always been your call. But the one that I do on Monday night and Terry's call on Wednesday night and the open calls that are done uh, as part of the website as an adjunct to that on Tuesday night every other week are support calls to help you understand and fit together, if you have questions, the information that's in the website. They are not, these calls are not a substitute for being a member and having access to all that organized information because what you get on these calls is bits and pieces. You get certain uh, situations and uh, scenarios, but you don't really get the overall picture. You don't get the uh, full information of uh, how the consumer protection statutes were meant to protect you because you are a consumer. That's the whole idea. Most people don't know about them, much less what they mean, and they know even less about how to enforce them using the courts. And that's one of the things we do. We help show people how to use the court system in this country because they don't teach it in our schools, and that's by design. They don't want you to know because they want you to hire a lawyer. That gives lots of money to the lawyering profession, but in most cases, not all, but in many, many cases, you're going to find that the lawyers will take your money and they will not represent you properly. That's just the facts. That's just the way it is. There are some good lawyers, good attorneys out there. We have several that work with us. They have come to us and said, wow, we love what you're doing. It's great. We want to uh, help the consumer. We'll take that side of the fence and fight against the, the lawyers who want to defend an unscrupulous, fraudulent industry called the debt collection industry because that's what they are. They're unscrupulous, and it's a fraudulent in industry because nobody owes a debt collector one single cent. And until you understand why that's the case, 
you're going to have a hard time dealing with any of the situations you might find yourself in dealing with them. That's the core of things. You have to understand where you are in the scheme of things. But there's plenty of lawyers out there that will defend that industry and try and get in your pockets and take your money. And it's your duty to stand up to the debt collection industry, to anybody, anywhere that violates your rights. But if you don't know what your rights are, you don't have any. And if you don't know how to stand up for your rights, even if you know that you have rights, you might as well not have any because you're in the same boat. It's like, oh, well, they violated my rights. I figured that much out, but I don't know what to do about it. Well, that's where what we do comes in. That's why we're here. That's why we spend every Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday night. We have for years, and when I say we, I'm talking to moderators and even other people that come on the calls and contribute. We do this all free. The only thing that we ask in return is that when you learn this, first of all, you tell other people about the fact that we're even here to help them if they need help, if they have questions, if they want to learn. Maybe they don't have a situation uh, that they're dealing with. Maybe they just want to learn so in case someday they have a problem, they they have a heads up, which is great. Get Get ahead of the curve instead of being behind the eight ball. But All we ask is that you let other people know, because that's our advertising medium, is all of you talking to other people and letting them know this situation for help exists. And when you have the opportunity to help someone else that uh, may be having a problem or an issue with something, that you will assist them in a way that you can, based on your knowledge, what you have learned. Just pay it forward. It's not about money. We're not about making money. It's about helping people. It's about coming back to a community, doing what's right, and working to change this country. And make no mistake, we are having an effect on that industry, and they don't like it. They don't like it at all. And to them, I say, too bad. If you weren't breaking the law, You wouldn't have a problem with me or any of the other people that come on these calls. If you were above board, if you were following the law, you could go merrily on your way. But you don't follow the law. You routinely break the law. And I'm going to keep contributing to as many people's education as I possibly can out here to stop you in your tracks every chance I get, no matter what name is on your door. And that includes Midland Credit Management, especially Encore Capital Group, their parent, especially Midland Funding, who is another one of their redheaded stepchildren, specifically. But you guys aren't the only ones. And this is going to go on and on and on until you change the way you do business and start following the law, if there is a way to do your business and follow the law, that is. With all that said, we're going to go to good news after I tell everybody, especially the new people on this call, that when you come on this call, you're unmuted. And that's by design. 
but I don't want to hear a bunch of background noise, and everybody's been super good tonight. I haven't heard one little peep anywhere. That's wonderful. Thank you very much. For the most part, we have great people that come on these calls, very courteous, but once in a while we get somebody that gets forgetful, and sometimes we get people that just get downright stupid. Call it the way it is. And they don't mute themselves, and then we get a bunch of extraneous noise. Please mute yourself using star six on your keypad. If you're not, <clears throat> if you haven't done that already, please do that. And I can see on the board whether you're muted or not using that feature. If you use the mute button on your phone, it doesn't show up on my board. So, you know, if I see noise coming from a, a line, I can mute you. And I can mute the whole board. I don't want to do that. But we need to have these calls quiet because there's a lot of people that depend on the information that's disseminated on these calls to learn how to stand up for the rights. <clears throat> nothing more. There's nothing vindictive about what we do. But we want quiet recordings because there's literally hundreds of people that listen to these archive calls that, that are busy. They can't possibly attend a live call or whatever. We have people that download this to uh, MP3 players and listen to it in their vehicles, all sorts of different scenarios. The main thing is, if people get the information. So I ask everybody to please mute yourself using star six. When we get done with good news, to put yourself in the queue so that you can raise your hand and uh, ask a question, and uh, hopefully we can give you an answer or, or point you in a direction where you can find an answer if we don't know what the answer to your question is. Uh, to do that, all you have to do is hit star 8 on the keypad in your phone. That puts you in the queue. Please have yourself muted using star 6 before you do that. I say that every week, and we always have people that don't do it. Please start paying attention to that. Star 6, and then star 8, and then just be patient and wait. So, And I'm not a poet either. So the bottom line is we always start with good news, and the reason we do that is because we all hear enough of the crap and the nonsense through the mainstream media, which we know is all biased. And when we have people that have good things happen, whether it be, you know, maybe they negotiated the settlement or they got a check in settlement of a dispute with somebody or uh, they had a good outcome in a court hearing or any number of things constitute good news. But we start with that because we need to hear that. We need to hear that people are having success because we have people all the time that are having success. And I will tell you, there is a success section in the forum in the website. And if you go there, you can look at the success stories and the copies of settlement checks that have been posted, redacted copies of checks. And those checks total in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. This isn't chicken feed. We've helped a lot of people get a lot of remedy from a lot of different people and companies that were breaking the law. And that's what this is all about. It's not vindictive, again, like I said. It's simply about standing up for, for your rights and making people accountable when they violate them. It's just that simple. So with all of that said, Let's see if anybody's got good news. You don't need to hit star eight. All you have to do is speak up and bring us your good news. So you've got the floor. Oh, man, you can tell it's summertime, can't you? All right, well, 
we don't have anybody speaking up right now. That doesn't mean people won't speak up a little bit later. Um, we have a smaller group on the call tonight because it is summertime and especially the later part of summer. We know a lot of people are going and getting things done, maybe later summer vacations before the kids go to school. That's fine. There are some times that we sit here and listen to good news after good news after good news after good news after good news, and that's great. But when there isn't anything for one week, we don't go, oh, my God, everything stopped. No. It's just that we understand it's summertime and people are taking some time to do other things. So as long as we don't have any good news, um, I just want to check. Uh, do any of the other moderators, Jeff, John, Terry, do any of you have any comments you want to make or uh, anything you want to say before we get into Q&A? No. Sorry. Not at the moment. Okay. Now things are rolling along. We're almost done with the getting that brief refiled with the summary of argument. So uh-huh. That's where we're at. You you got that last part of it done? Terry and I uh, spent some time together. Um, Craig and stuff. I went over it, and I found some, you know, basic things, housekeeping and a change of a, a couple of words, and now he's got a couple he wants to change. He's going to send it back mm-hmm. to me. Oh, you're, so we're about you're tossing to, back and forth. Yeah, well, that's good. You're yeah. getting it down there. You're <laughs> whittling down all the, the little things. You know, we, we went through a bunch of stuff today. Well, we got an... Uh, an unexpected chance to perfect so without asking for it and so we want to take complete advantage of that chance oh absolutely and and everybody should you know once in a while you do get a gift that's thrown your way you know sometimes you uh, you have somebody that gives you a hard time but uh, uh, anyway uh, if we don't have any comments or news or anything from the moderators, then we'll just go to the people on the call. And anybody that has a question or wants to make a comment about things, uh, star eight, that's how you put yourself in the queue. We'll take you in the order that you do that. And again, you know, if we can't answer a question for you, we'll, we'll try based on our knowledge, uh, much of which is uh, from personal experience in dealing with things. Uh, but a lot of it's from study because we've spent innumerable hours study, studying the statutes and uh, various pleadings and stuff. I've, uh, <laughs> quite frankly, I've really done a number on my eyesight in the last few years because of all the reading and time spent on the computer. But, you know, I like what I do. So, anyway, let's go to Florida. You have been unmuted. Go ahead. Good evening, Dave. Good evening. That sounds like a Brian. That's me. How about that? Thanks for hosting the call for the last seven years. Thank you. Appreciate I think I've it. been here just about just about all just of them. Just about all of it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Been a long time. A but uh, I have a question. Sure. I'm helping a friend of mine with an FCRA case, and after she sent the notice of intent to sue, the defendant sent back a letter stating that. They are the servicer for the new owner. In discovery, can I ask that servicer or can she ask that servicer about when that new owner acquired that or how would you go about that? Well, sure, you could ask that in discovery. Why wouldn't you be able to? Well, they're not a defendant. The new owner is not. Okay, they're not a defendant. Correct, 
Okay. A non-defendant, you have to subpoena information. Right, but can I ask the servicer when they acquired the rights to service for that new owner, that type of stuff? Obviously, I think I can. Well, you could subpoena any and all documents relating to uh, them acquiring the uh, right to act as servicer for XYZ. And subpoena that directly to the owner or just ask the questions through the servicer? You changed the context of the yeah, question, Brian. Yeah, yeah. You you changed what the question was. You were, you were saying, can can we ask the servicer that? Yeah, okay. the servicer that, is the defendant. Well, oh, the okay. Owner, well, the no, owner is see. not. Yeah, okay. You're you're crossing the wires here. You're confusing me because um, I I was talking about the servicer, and you said they're not a defendant. Now you just said they're a defendant. Um, I'm sorry. The owner is not a defendant. If I didn't say that correctly the first no, time, I apologize. Yeah, yeah, you you got us confused here. Okay. From the discovery standpoint, discovery can be propounded to a party to the lawsuit. In other words, a defendant in your case. Mm-hmm. Any person, whether it be a corporate entity or a real live human being, that uh, is a non-party to a lawsuit has to be subpoenaed to provide information. Subpoena ducis tecum. Okay. And that's a that's a subpoena where you request information, you know, like uh, you know, any and all documents relating to uh or indicating showing or indicating when you became or when so and so became serv- a servicer for such and such a uh, obligation. You know, you want to be careful how you word that. Yeah, because I think you just confused me there. I think I can ask the servicer when they became the servicer for XYZ, the owner. Exactly. But to get documents from the owner, I would have to do a subpoena, or she would have to do a subpoena ducis tecum. Right, because they are a non-party to the lawsuit. It's a real simple dividing line. A, a you can send discovery, uh, you know, interrogatories, um, requests for production, admissions, stuff like that, to par- a party to the lawsuit, somebody who is right. in in there on one side or the other, plaintiff or, or defendant. Anybody that is not in the plaintiff, defendant, uh, or a party in any way to the lawsuit, you have to use the subpoena to get information from them. Gotcha. Okay. That's I got a dividing for you, Brian. Sure, go ahead, Jeff. Why is the new owner not a defendant? Because I didn't know anything about this as the suit was filed, and the, during the motion to dismiss, she actually the, the case was dismissed with leave to amend. When the court allowed her leave to amend, they said specifically that you couldn't add any counts or any additional information. You can only clarify what was in your original complaint. Now, when she went to PACER, it did say after the motion to dismiss was granted and the plaintiff had leave to amend, they stated that set or reset um, the case management. But there wasn't a a specific docket that you can click on to read that file. In other words, it was just a statement made in the docket. Yeah, yeah. There's some of those where you don't have a PDF that you can access. Was there anything right. that said that you couldn't add defendants? 
No, it just said that what it essentially said was that you couldn't uh, add or add, add anything new to the complaint. You can only okay. um, redefine your initial complaint. So, so to speak, you clarify. Have, do you have the right. thought in mind that you might be adding them as a defendant? Without a doubt, but he, FDCPA is one year and FCCPA is two year statute of limitations. Uh-huh. And depending on when they acquired it would be whether or not I can add them. Or she can have them, I should say. So you, you want to determine that exact date for sure before right. you would include them. And, and so you know whether to uh, include FDCPA. Uh, if it was within the last two years, obviously, FCCPA, you would capture the uh, statute of limitations there, but possibly not FDCPA. Am I correct? Right, and, and that's exactly what happened with the defendant because I she wasn't aware of this uh, credit pull until the two years was just about up. I mean, she filed suit literally the day before the two-year statute mm-hmm. of limitations. Right. So you couldn't even I, she couldn't even get FDCPA with the defendant. Now, depending on again when the owner actually acquired it is a whole different, you know, it could be, it could have been before the credit pool. It could have been after the credit pool. That's something to, to be determined. Yeah. Well, like I said, you know, it's, it's really simple that the dividing line is, uh, you do regular discovery admissions, production, so on and so forth to someone who is actually a party to the lawsuit, defendant or plaintiff. <clears throat> and if it's somebody outside that's not embroiled in it, you have to do that through a subpoena. Because I've seen people try and subpoena somebody, uh, something from uh, a defendant, and it's like, no, 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 no. Well, yeah, they get the processes confused. But it's it really, you know, for everybody's benefit out there, it's very simple. You know, if you are part of a lawsuit, you get a subpoena if I want something from you. If you're part of a lawsuit, well, it, then I'm going to do discovery through admissions, interrogatories, production, uh, you know, deposition. Right. And that's why I was asking the question. I mean, I was pretty sure which way I, you know, you were supposed to go. She was supposed to go with this. But I also wanted to clarify it, not only for myself, but for the other people. Uh-huh. Um, well, but and thank one you more for question. doing that, because, because it is, you know, we, we always want to try and remember what we're discussing here. It's This is to benefit a, a number of people, not just necessarily the person that's asking the question. It's supposed to be educational for everybody. Sure. And, and some of the particular discovery that she can ask to the defendant would be when they became the servicer for the owner, which may give a little insight Absolutely. into when the owner acquired it. Right. Well, when, you know, you could do that in a interrogatory. Um, you could uh, also uh, do a request for production related to that. Any, any and all documents that... Uh, uh, show or indicate when uh, so-and-so became servicer for such and such an obligation. Right. And in that sense, is there in the request for production, for instance, one of the things she was, I was discussing with her was, is that where you would ask, can you ask for the forward flow agreement or is that only for the owner? No, you can the, ask, you can ask for the, uh, Forward flow agreement. Copy and chain of ownership. Be, and, but again, chain of ownership wouldn't be really the servicers. They wouldn't really know that, possibly. No, you're, you're going to want to get that information. Uh, oh, 
been if it hasn't been established who bought what from whom, you should ask for it from anybody you can. Right. Okay. So that that's that was my question. Right. So is the forward flow agreement the right terminology, Terry, or is it the purchase and sales agreement and chain of ownership? Right. Now there's there's you should ask for any of all three because okay. it could be a forward flow agreement. And the difference is in a forward flow agreement, it's a contract where they agree to buy further portfolios within a certain amount of time. In okay. A, in a in a straight accounts purchasing agreement or accounts purchase agreement, it's a one-time straight across purchase. So you don't know and you won't know until they fork it over. So you ask for the accounts purchase agreement or forward flow agreement. And that brings up a good point. I mean, the only thing that leads her to believe that the new owner is XYZ is only because that's what the defendant said. <laughs> exactly. There's no proof, oh, proof on know, the record. No, <laughs> prove it up. Yeah. Right. Yeah, go searching for the evidence to uh, and substantiate you know what? it. And when they come back with, well, that's highly confidential, that's uh, trade secret, blah, blah, blah. Well, excuse me, but you made the claim. Now you're going to have to substantiate it. Right. Well, she also had, and I don't know if we discussed this before, was she also had an issue with the uh, joint stip. They were like, because uh, in the case management report, it kind of stated that the judge didn't want to do joint stipulations. And I, I don't have the paragraph in front of me right now, but he kind of took the words out of context in a sense. So when she didn't sent him the joint it. stipulation, he was no, like, we're not just, signing it. Yeah. Just for everybody's benefit, you're, you're throwing terms out here that I know there's people out here that don't understand what you're saying. You're saying a joint stip. You're talking about a joint uh, uh, stipulated protective order. Correct. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. Just so everybody understands. Yeah. No, I should have allowed. It's a protective maybe. order to uh, uh, for somebody if they say, "Oh, well, you know, you're asking for this, but it's confidential." A joint protective order lets them provide that under the cover that it's not going to be put out to the public. It can be stamped confidential, and it has to be kept that way. Just for the new people on on the call. Yeah, and uh, maybe maybe on Terry's call, I'll, I'll actually dig out the paragraph that's in the case management report and show you his response to her email because it was kind of I, – I think he kind of fluffed the terminology a little bit and, and said, I'm not going to go against the court's order. I don't understand why you even want this yet. There's not no reason for it at this point in time. You get and it of in course, place he, so he was waiting they can't to, use it as an excuse. That's why you get it in place early. Exactly. Right. That, you know what? When they – that you simply say this is to avoid any possible discovery uh, uh, dispute disputes going forward. This needs to be taken care of in order to use the most efficient use of our time and court resources. Right. I just have to get the paragraph out of the case management report and read it to you. Like I said, I don't have it in front of me at the moment. But it did kind of say that the judge didn't want 
to deal with too much of the going back and forth between plaintiff and defendant. Let's just get this going and get it, you know, straightened out. And he was making it sound like he would be going against the court order or the court uh, case management report if he'd signed it right now. And I'll have to get the exact terminology out of it. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Oh, it doesn't. You know, especially if you have something that's stipulated, both parties stipulate to it, the court doesn't have to referee anything. All they got to do is say, oh, okay, we're entering this, and boom. Normally, I signed it, and you're done. Normally, the court is all in favor of uh-huh. get done and getting it done now, and they take a very dim view with either side refusing to enter into one. Yeah, that is the right. norm. And I know we discussed that before, and it wasn't until he pointed out to her that it was in the case management report where the judge actually referred to that. But again, I think he took the sentence out of context and. He he seems to be that type of guy based on what she's been telling me with her conversations with him. He, he tends to tends to take things into a different light. <laughs> now, now you're talking the judge or the attorney on the other side? The defend oh, yeah, the defendant's attorney. Oh, okay. All right, yeah. Yeah. He he, he seems to take things out of context a little bit. She's pointed it out to him on several occasions, but well, So what he's a lawyer, what do you expect? Right. Well, the motion to dismiss was still lingering and the judge hadn't ruled on it. And I think really what he was trying to do was just bide some time so he didn't have to put in a lot of hours. And then the judge did actually dismiss the case, but granted her leave to amend, which is where where we're at now. Yeah. So. Well, it's hard telling. But, you know, you got you got some of the lawyers that are pretty sharp and, you know, they'll deal with you fairly upfront and stuff. But, uh you know, and you always got to be careful no matter what. But then you got some of them that are, it's like they're uh, halfway to outer space. It's, well, this is our usual friends at Sessions and Fishman. Oh, well. Usually they're not <laughs> too bad overall. I mean, they're, they're, more, a, sorry, they're more of one of the professional law firms that, from my experience, I mean, sure, they can try a lot of underhanded tricks. I mean, that's their job. That's what right. they do. That's the nature of their business. But... Uh, usually they're they're fairly well organized and uh, uh, competent and stuff like that, and not real weird. We've dealt this with is a, pretty good, pretty sorry, good sorry. attorneys over there. Um, that idiot in Florida, you know, I'm not including him in it, but you know, there have been. Yeah. Yeah, this is a young guy working underneath Dale. Oh well, so I you think know, maybe he's just you know he's trying to. Uh, you know, to prove a point, he's just a young kid just starting out. I was just going to say, maybe he's fresh out of law school and he's got his head up his posterior yet. He hasn't plucked it out yet. He's a couple <laughs> of years out, but he's, uh, you can tell, I've never seen his name on any of the other uh, cases that I've researched through them. So he's fairly new to their firm, at least. Yeah, well, I've, I've actually uh, dealt with a, uh, a couple of relatively new attorneys, you know, a couple of years, two and a half years out of uh, law school. And and I'll be honest with you, and I, I don't say this to crow or anything, I'm not, it's just, it, it was kind of really interesting. I intimidated them. It was <laughs> obvious because I knew what I was talking about. And they're, he's like, oh, well, well oh, okay. <laughs> well, you'd been you'd been in battle, and he hadn't. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, obviously he's new and stuff, but it right. it, was, it was painfully obvious he was intimidated, and uh, both of them were that I talked to. So, I mean, you know, it's it's just kind of interesting when you run into that. But 
Yeah, I mean, he seems to be, based on what I've talked to the, my friend about, he seems to be, you know, a pretty decent guy. He's just trying to do his job, which I understand. I'm not, I don't take it personally, or neither does she. So, yeah, yeah. It's just, just a uh, job. yeah, exactly. He's doing what he's trying to do for his client, and mm-hmm. work. she's trying to do what she's going to do to collect a check. That's all. Yeah, well, he's just trying to earn some money so he can buy a Lexus for his new girlfriend. Well, it was funny because I think I mentioned once before, you know, he wanted to do a uh, telephonic hearing for the 26F conference and the judge flat out denied it. And he had to drive from Tampa halfway across the state of Florida oh boy. just to uh, to sit down and do the 26F. And he offered my friend, I think it was a couple hundred bucks or something. And she's like, well, you made more than that today just driving out here. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was kind of comical. Yeah. Oh, well. All right. Anyways, well, that's that all for me. Questions? Yes, thank you all very much. All righty. Thank you, Brian. Have Big easy. Okay. Man, we're going to go to Southwest Florida. Southwest Florida, you've been unmuted. Is that me? Uh, I think it is. Okay, good. <clears throat> um, this is the second time I've actually got on a call, I actually talked to you one time before when uh, I didn't realize the structure of the call when you had good news and whatnot, but in any case, um, I learned a lot just from listening to this last caller, um, and my, basically, my my questions are, I have two friends, <clears throat> actually a friend and her mother who live in separate residences, and they receive an incredibly amount of, uh, incredible amount of uh, unsolicited phone calls. And I was wondering how I could help them. And that's uh, this caller, I think, that we just listened to helped me uh, because even though it's a, uh, <clears throat> I think it's with a mortgage or uncollected debt, um, that's, I got on the website here uh, tonight too, so I'm going to look at that a little bit more. But is it possible to help other people? Um, you know, as you say, we're not lawyers, but offering a legal advice, but is it, is it, okay for us to help other people. I didn't know if we could just act on our own benefit. Or if oh, oh yeah. We, well, helping other people, but one of the best things you can do to help those people is tell them about the website so they can get in there and tell them about these calls so they can start learning. Um, it's, because... Yeah, it's you, you don't want to get into a situation where you do something for somebody else. You, you learn the stuff, and they're clueless. And let's say, you know, you end up getting into a lawsuit or something like that, or, you know, you do paperwork for them. And then all of a sudden, the court schedules a hearing, and they have to show up at that hearing and answer questions and talk about their case. And they're like, oh, my God, I don't understand this. I don't know how to do this. I can't do that. Oh, you, see the pro- you see the problem you get into? Yeah, That's great. That can be really bad, and we know. Dave and I know. Sometimes the worst thing you can do for somebody else is help them too much. Yeah. Helping to a degree, assisting somebody with their learning curve, like when somebody's learning and and they're going through some stuff and they're like, you know, I'm not sure I understand this. You know, you, you've already, you know, you've studied this stuff up. Uh, what about such and such and so and so, this and that and stuff? Yeah, help them with that kind of stuff. But as far as doing things for somebody else, you don't want to get into that position. No, I'm not. That's not what I'm going to do. I'm going to work beside them. I'm not going to uh, do it for them. Okay, good, good. 
You're you're on the right well, track in, doing in that. In one but, instance, the lady is 85 years old, so I don't know if I'm going to get involved in that because it's exactly what you just advised me of. Yeah. But, but the other person <clears throat> is fully aware of the situation and would be, yes, actively involved in the website and, um, you know, and helping defend herself, in other words. Right. Now, the lady, <laughs> the lady that's 85... Yes. She. Which, by the way, is the friend the friend that I'm helping? That's her mother. Okay. All right. So they're related. All right. Now it's the mother. What she's getting phone calls. I mean, what is the issue she's dealing with? Oh, just unbelievably inundated with unsolicited phone calls, uh, charities, and uh, everybody you can imagine. <clears throat> okay. Um, any debt collectors calling them about things or anything? No, these people are very solvent. Or telemarketers. Okay. Yeah. Well, in other words, her problems are more on the telemarketing end. Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah, one of the one of the things you got to do there is research things and then uh depending on what you've got, there are some attorneys out here that will take these cases, and, and especially on some of that abusive telemarketing crap, if they can identify people, there's attorneys out here that will uh, take that on a class action basis. Yeah, what state okay. is she in? I'm sorry? What state? Uh, well, that's what I was just going to talk about. I'm in West Virginia, and <clears throat> I think one of the things that I want to learn out of this whole process is, yes, how consumer-friendly the the consumer protection laws are, and I actually have a friend. I actually worked for a, as an independent contractor for a law firm as an investigator, <clears throat> and they have been approached by their interest interested in exactly what we're talking about. They've been approached by people that I don't know if I'm sure you're aware of people in the industry that sell quote unquote a software that helps them uh, do probably what you guys are doing. But they weren't interested in it. But anyway, um, well, there isn't uh, any software that can do what we do. <laughs> there just isn't. That's okay. true. Well, anyway, that's one thing that I'm I'm encouraged by the website is that I'll be able to, you know, learn about the state, learn about the the power of the protection, the consumer protection laws, and how you know how I can protect myself and and uh, help others. Yeah. The biggest thing that you want to understand is uh, the you got federal consumer protection laws, which are uniform, obviously, across the country. The, the federal statutes apply to you no matter where you are, whether you're in Hawaii, California, or, uh, you know, New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. So um, you focus, uh, my suggestion would be to focus on learning the federal consumer protection laws, and then if there are certain specific people, uh, you know, like you're in West Virginia, you go into the website and look at the consumer protection statutes for West Virginia, because different states have different laws. There are some states that have almost none, uh, and one of the most uh, obvious examples is Georgia. Georgia has next to nil for consumer protection statutes where some other states have fantastic consumer protection statutes, one of which is Florida. 
So, um, you know, it, but I would suggest that you start by focusing on the federal and then look at the, uh, the your state statutes uh, peripheral to that. I think that benefits Well, that's more. interesting that you would say that because I have lived, I'm 60 years old. I've lived all over the country. I moved to Florida from West Virginia when I was 18. <clears throat> I have seen the progression of uh, everything from the Flim Flam man that came into Florida back in the early 80s sold bank charters for $3,500 a piece to, you know, every time I go there, which I, I frequently go <clears throat> to Florida, my, my mother and four brothers and sisters live there. When I go there, I stay with my mother, and she receives an increasingly number of calls from people impersonating the IRS. Oh, that's and, a major deal that's going on right now. <laughs> and my friend here right now in West Virginia has received these calls with a callback number. Oh. Have you heard about that? Wow. Yeah, there's there's all sorts of stuff on that, the the fear tactics, you know. Yeah. But it, it there I can tell you right now the people that are doing that are very cagey. You may have a callback number, but uh being able to trace a lot of that stuff uh can be quite difficult. I'm not saying don't do it and I'm not saying it can't be done. But uh, they know they're breaking the law. They they know it very well, and they, uh, to a fair degree, do a fairly good job of covering their butt and protecting themselves. It's almost where you uh, you got to take each different one. But the IRS scam is something that's really going hot and heavy out around the country right now. Oh yeah, it's it's rampant, no doubt about it. Yeah, I figured that they would be, as you say, pretty cagey because they know that they're, <clears throat> you know, they, they're involved in something illegal, so they're not going to be, mm-hmm. you know, certainly not going to be easily traced. But uh, right, they're well, they're not going to lay themselves out, you know, for somebody to come along and just nail them to the wall. You're you're going to have to be, you're going to have to do your due diligence, and uh, uh, sometimes that can be pretty tricky with them. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like this website has, uh, you know. Is unlimited in, in the information, so I'm going to go There's, ahead and sign up. I don't want to take any more time from other callers because you have uh, <clears throat> you pretty much have answered everything I had on my mind. Okay, well, get in there. It's like I said earlier. There's a 60-day money-back guarantee on it. There's a tremendous amount of information. When you get in there and you start looking around, you'll be doing the oh my god, there really is a lot of stuff here, and then just in the forum alone. Uh, you go in there, and the forum is broken down by subject matter like the saving your home section, TCPA, uh, beating credit cards, taking their money. You go do some reading in there at uh, the uh, some of the questions and the answers and stuff like that. There's there's four and a half years of information there. Just so many questions that you can't imagine, and lots and lots of answers for them. So it's a great place to study. Well, great. I appreciate your time. And uh, Leon in uh, Wichita is the one who referred me to you. Oh, okay. Yeah. Leon's my buddy. Yeah. And I, he and I have been good friends for many years. We, uh, He's a fellow futures trader. and uh, he, uh, yeah, He's a good friend, good friend of mine, too. Good. Good. Yep. He's a good guy. All right. Well, thank you, guys. I appreciate it. All righty. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right. Let me put my glasses on here. My eyes are getting all blurred here. I don't know why, but they are. I got to see. We're going to go to Illinois. You have been unmuted. Go ahead. Hello, Illinois. 
Maybe you need to unmute your handset. Illinois, hello. Okay. Hello? There you go. Come on now. Okay, I'm sorry about that. All right, so here's the deal. Thank you, and I apologize. I'm trying to multitask. But, so my court date today did not go well. Oh, well, I'm sorry to hear that. What what I'm was so your court sorry. date? Uh, what was your court date today about? And what happened? Motion for an extension of time, continuance on this summary judgment hearing, and so forth. And so, the judge denied that. And in the process, the uh, you know I've been doing doing discovery, uh, and of course, the plaintiff, the debt collector plaintiff has not answered any of my discovery, even my request for production of documents. They attempted to try to strike them, um, but saying, oh, so you might remember saying that they didn't get the request, so I did fax them. Uh, but when they actually responded, they were saying, oh, well, asking this is too broad, is too vague. So overbroad, vague, yeah. overbroad, the usual boilerplate nonsense. Mm -hmm. yes. So my next thing is to now just do a motion to compel. Um, well, you need to contact them and tell them that their answers are improper and give them a chance to answer them properly. Give them 48 hours. Okay. And if they refuse to do that, then you tell them you, you either uh, provide the information that was requested and get rid of the nonsense or I'm going to... Uh, uh, File a motion to compel, and we'll let the court tell you to give it to me. Okay. Now you got to make sure that your requests were not overbroad. They they weren't. So one, I mean, so here's like one of my requests was I'm looking for because this is a securitized trust. Give me, I want to see all of the intervening assignments. Right. It shouldn't be more than intervening uh, assignments. Where? Uh, intervening assignments from, okay, I'd have to pull out what I have specifically. But well, intervening assignments from the original creditor up to the current lender, or supposed alleged lender. To the holder. Mm, yeah, I didn't say holder, though. Um, well, whoever's holding it now wasn't the lender, were they? No, they weren't. Okay. Why do you want to use that terminology? Hmm, that's a great question. Okay. Okay, would that be an impact? Well, <clears throat> you gotta you gotta think <clears throat> excuse me, you gotta think about the terminology that you're using. I understand what you're wanting to get. Okay. Uh hold on one second. There, I got a tickle in my throat here. Sorry about that. Um you you have to think about the terminology. You're you're wanting to uh, uh, you're wanting them to produce copies of all assignments uh, from the original creditor to the current holder of the obligation. Yes. So I didn't I didn't word it like that. I just said note. Uh, the note since um, origination up through plaintiff Dutch Bank. Okay. Um, 
I don't think that's really overbroad, but you know, the uh, it could be better stated. Okay. Right. You can you can uh, clarify. Yeah. When you notify them that their answers are not acceptable. That's fine to clarify what you've asked for and give them 48 hours to fix it. Wait a hold it. Wait a hold it. Did she just say current plaintiff? Uh, well, it's the plaintiff, yes. So who's the plaintiff? Is it the creditor or is no, it the it's servicer? It's, well, it's the, it is a trust. It is the, the trustee for the trust, Long Beach Mortgage Loan. Two zero zero six dash two. Okay. Well, they're the trustee. They're not the hold of the. They're the trustee for the securitized trust. Yeah, but the yeah. trustee isn't the holder. No. They're not. But in my QWR that I sent to the servicer, like two years ago, they said that this, the trust, that the trustee was the holder, not the holder in due course just the holder. The holder of what? I'm like, okay, the holder of what? So so that's why, because they're, they have on this, um, in this case, named as the plaintiff, Dutch Bank National Trust Company as trustee for <coughs> Long Beach 2006-2. And so based off of the pooling and servicing agreement and all the certified documents that I got from the SEC, um, it says that the it has to be assigned a perfected chain of title or assignment of the note and the, you know, has to go from the original lender through the seller to the depositor and then to the trustee. So that's what I'm looking for and have not seen that, and that has not been recorded. So that was what my request was, to produce those assignments. Yeah. Now, can you read the exact wording that you had again <clears throat> for that request? Do you have it there? Yes. Hopefully. Okay. So the request said... Um, yeah, I want John to weigh in on this. Okay. So, John, if you're multitasking, ears up, please. Okay, so my request says produce a copy of all interim assignments of ownership of the note since origination up to and through plaintiff Dutch Bank's foreclosure proceeding. What do you mean by interim? So again, there should be from the original lender. Yeah, but, but you didn't answer my question. What do you mean by interim? So all the interim, so all, every assignment up through origination. So interim means every 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 assignment. Well, but oh. did you define interim in your in your uh, preamble? Probably not. Probably not. See right. that you you got to watch those words interim assignments. Okay. Okay, I'm going to ask you what's an interim assignment because I don't know. Okay. You see where. Or you get into a problem with that? Uh, now I see. That's that's one of the reasons why, and and it may sound silly, stupid, and dumb, but one of the reasons why you want to keep all of your pleadings and everything 
written at eighth grade level. Because mm. you get above eighth grade level and you start inserting uh, eclectic words, mm. and if you haven't defined them, you're shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah, what what happens is they can say, well, we don't know what you mean by interim assignments. And very honestly, if somebody sent me something saying they wanted uh, copies of uh, all interim assignments, I would not know what they were talking about. I mean, just on the legal standpoint here, I would not know what they're talking about. Okay. Uh, Please provide a copy of each and every assignment in the chain of title from the original creditor to the present holder with uh, the uh, right to enforce. Mm. Okay. Okay. You see how clear that is? How can they get around that? You were very specific. You want a copy of each and every assignment from the original creditor up to who the holder is with the right of enforcement. At the and at eighth time. grade level. And so to Terry's point, based off of that and what I got back, I can clarify? Yeah. Yeah, you can get a hold of them and say, okay, they're saying overbroad and all this stuff. You don't have to go through another 30-day deal to restate it and all that. You can get a hold of them and say, look, what's meant by that is I want a copy of every assignment uh, of that obligation between the original creditor and the present holder with the right of enforcement. And, and what you need to do is, and according to the rules, you have to have a meet and confer. So you contact that lawyer on the other side. You say, we need a meet and confer concerning this discovery, and it needs to be immediately. I'm available at such and give him a choice of three times. Uh-huh. Um, pick one. Okay, so even if this is, even if this is at the, um, the civil, what do I want to say, at the local court level, this is um this is not in federal court. This is uh in state court. Can I do that? Because uh, John check your rules. I'm sorry? Yeah. Check your rules. Yeah, check your rules, but I, I think uh, your state rules are gonna be very similar. I mean, you know, you you've got the the option for motion to compel in state court. Uh if you're doing discovery in in the state court you should be looking at the rules governing discovery in the state. And yeah. I, okay. And so, so Terry, to, I appreciate that um, because, and I have. So here's where my challenge, and like I said, I don't know if I said this, but you know, so my my judge is just not, uh, you know. Your so, judge is typical in a state court, is what you're trying to say. This is true. <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, we don't mean to. We're not laughing at you. It, it, it's just amusing because we hear this so much. Yeah, it's the reality of it, unfortunately. Reality. So even as I cite the Supreme Court rules regarding discovery, he, it's like they don't matter. And I'm not certain if I just am not skilled enough to push back or or what. But when I cite the rules, state what the rule says, 
um, like it in terms of discovery. Uh, I just like today. I was just so floored. I just couldn't believe it. But oh, don't well, be, because I've heard my the federal judge, federal judge, mind you, in in the Southern District, say when when the rule was challenged. Well, so what? Yeah. Now, um, your situation, you're citing this, this stuff today, and and the court uh, just basically went past it, said, well, that doesn't matter or whatever. Is that correct? You off? Correct. Okay. That's, that's All correct. Right. Did you object? I did object. Okay. Now, my next question is a very important one. Okay. Did you have a court reporter there? No, I did not. Oopsie. There's, there's another another there's another uh, question for you. Okay. Did you demand the judge rule on your objection? No, I did not. And you waived it. Okay. Yeah. Um you need a court reporter when you are in a situation where you have a judge that is not doing things according to this. You need a court reporter so that you have a copy because I'm here to tell you court transcripts get changed. They do. They 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 there's any number of instances where they don't reflect what actually happened in court. When you try and get the one from the court and you're going to challenge something, they will mysteriously be different than what actually happened. Yeah. And nobody knows. Okay. Yeah. The, this is why, and this is something, if you've been studying in the website, you hear Jesse say all the time, and we say it. We haven't said it so much lately because we haven't had as much conversation about uh, foreclosure stuff. But when you go to court, you have a court reporter, period. It's not, well, you have it if you're going to do No. When you go to court, have a court reporter because if the court doesn't follow the law, you want to have a certified copy of what happened so that you have that for your appeal. When you objected and the and the uh, judge says, ah, that doesn't matter, I don't, I don't go by that, or something, you know, those kind of things like that. If you go back and you want a transcript, do you think that judge finds out when somebody requests a transcript? You bet he does. And he's going to go back and go, oh, crap, well, change this. Uh, you know, I said this or that, or, you know, I didn't say this. I said that. That Believe me, it happens. I know personally of somebody that uh, was in a uh, state-level court on a foreclosure situation, and the judge just absolutely, I mean, the, the, he got the transcript. Falsified. And, and it, it was grossly altered mm. grossly altered right it wasn't it wasn't one or two words that were switched it was grossly altered and there's been many many occasions so anyway the point being for everybody and especially for you always have a court reporter if you're going to spend some money on it now keep in mind for those and this is uh, something that we haven't talked about in a while so i want to explain to people you know they're wondering well geez then i gotta buy a transcript and that'll cost me hundreds and hundreds of dollars no 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 that's not the way it works you pay a court reporter for the time to be in court with you 
you know, fifty, eighty, ninety dollars, whatever. And if nothing happens that you need a, tra- a copy of a transcript, you don't pay for it. The court reporter just gets paid to be there, and that's the end of the deal. But if something comes up where the judge does something that is uh, completely incorrect, you can go back and you can request the pages that just address that. You don't have to buy the whole transcript just to get one one specific statement. You can go to the court reporter and say, well, okay, uh, about 10 minutes in when the, the judge was talking about such and such, so-and-so, he made the comment, well, I don't go by that. I need the transcript uh, the, uh, for uh, some uh, context to it so that they can understand, and I want to get copies of that. And that's all you got to pay for. Maybe you only pay for three pages instead of 30. So it's it's not like you're you're obligated to buy the whole thing. It's but what it is is if you go into court without a court reporter and you have something like that where they slam dunk you and stick it to you. Well, if you don't have your own court reporter there, so you've got a copy of how you got screwed. Uh, you can probably assume that there's a good likelihood that uh, what you get from the court if you record, request one from them will be altered. Okay. It shouldn't happen, but it does. So, Dave? Yeah. Okay, let me see if I get this straight. So, they've got some type of a complaint, and they got into discovery, and they put in, they sent their discovery, and the other side didn't answer. So, there was a hearing. Was that for a motion to compel? No. no. So, the hearing was on a couple of things. One, a motion to strike my admit. And Your admissions, please. Terminology, admissions. My admission. Okay. And a motion to strike my request to produce documents and uh, my motion for an extension of time to respond to their motion for, I shouldn't even say summary judgment. What I found is that they've isolated this and all I can do is respond to their prove-up or do a briefing on their amended prove-up of an affidavit. So um, I don't understand that. Okay. Uh, so, okay, so can I come back to that one to address the discovery things first? I think it's John that you asked the question. Yeah, yeah, so go ahead. What we were, that's what they had, they had motioned to the court to strike my discovery. Um, So that you weren't allowed to even do your discovery. um, So I did the discovery in, I mean, we never had case management, so I just went forward with discovery. Does that make sense? Meaning that I, um, that I, uh, you just proceeded on with it yourself, but do the rules allow that? The you know rules, what the rules say? The rules allow that discovery can, yeah, that you can happen after an appearance has been made. Okay. Um, so, yes, I would say answer that question, yes. So, and but here's where my, I don't want to say, well, my challenge, let me just be straight. So my challenge and what I what I brought forth in front of the court today was we've never had case management and I'm not getting what I need in terms of discovery here. 
And the reason why I see we're not having case management is because the attorneys filed a case management calendar order that stated that I was a non-owner occupied. That's how they were to file my, that's how they filed my case management calendar, I suppose, as non-owner occupied. So I don't receive notices from the court and have never received notice for case management, even though our Supreme Court rule says that there must be an initial case management and that I can also motion the court to set a case management conference. In my reply to the uh, plaintiff's uh, motion to strike, I brought this up. In the alternative, if you're going to strike this, I want to have case management so that we can really go through all the stuff that needs to happen before summary judgment, including depositions, uh, amending pleadings, you know, uh, that kind of stuff. But the judge well, okay, so so it so these people have screwed you by filing erroneous documents and and misrepresenting your position. If if they're saying that you're 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 a non debtor in possession, is that what they referred to you as? Uh, well, it was just that it was filed as non owner occupied. It's, it's a, a foreclosure, but they're saying this is rental property, so it's not owner occupied. I don't know what they were thinking when they did it. Do you live there? I do, and have always. Okay. Well, let, then, then you know, representing uh, some 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 of what I'm hearing is, you know, you're fighting the system, and it might not even be the other side completely. It's just the system, and you don't know how to to deal with it. So, but you have no. Have you have you put something before the court where you've called for your own hearing? No, like what? No, I, I would say no, but can you clarify what that would look like? I'm, no, you, I you, you do a motion, and then you do a motion for hearing. Have you done that yet? No, I haven't. Okay, have you filed an answer with your whole thing? I did file an answer. Um, did you file back. affirmative defenses? No. Why not? Is, okay, so because... <laughs> I feel so awful. Because... When this whole case started and I filed an answer with our help desk, our pro se help desk, one of the persons said, oh, just file this one-sheet answer, did not tell me that I could raise affirmative defenses, even though I was pointing out things regarding what I saw in terms of the assignment um, and the fact of, like, who is this? I don't know who these people are. My The people that okay, service okay. my loan. Got it, got it, got it. So when was it that you filed your answer? Back in 2010. Oh, my God. Yes. So here's where, where the challenge is, right? So the, Okay, and when when is summary judgment set for? Is there a deadline for summary judgment? Yes, yeah, so, so my case is really complicated. Back Last year, in 2013, this is when they brought the case back up. I get a notice in the mail from the attorney, not from the court, that they have made a motion for summary judgment. And I'm like, what the heck is this? Right? Hadn't heard anything since 2010, since I filed my answer. But then, boom, in 2013, I get this motion in the mail. So 
I file an extension for, you know, for an extension of time. I go in for this briefing schedule, not really knowing what was going on. And the judge says, well, you know, you have X amount of time to respond to their motion for summary judgment. In between that time, rather than responding for summary judgment, I went and filed a motion to amend my answers and raise my affirmative defenses. The judge outright, without even looking at it, denied it and then moved, moved the court to, or moved, or ordered me to just respond to the motion for summary judgment. But because I was so surprised at him not allowing me to amend my answers, I looked up the judge and found that he had economic interest in this case, a lot of them. So then I filed a motion or a petition for substitution of judge for cause. And after looking at the the brief and or the petition and my exhibits, he took himself off the case. And then the case was kind of like on hold at that point until that recusal went through, which went to close to the point of appeal before they recused the judge. I even had to write another brief to because the, the first judge that reviewed it granted the the substitution, and then less than a week later, Sue Sponti said that I want to reconsider what I granted, even though it was a total violation of Supreme Court rules, that the judge should never have been on the case. So anyway, fast forward. Um, we're now back on the case with a new judge, was never notified that I had this new judge, and when the case management was up, I was not notified for that, so I missed that case management, and we're here in this muddle. So okay, so so the 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 all of this started because of the document that the other side filed that said that you're, you know, not living in the house, and and because of that, it causes the court to not mail you any copies of notices or filings, right? That's true. But you are the proper plaintiff, you're the proper defendant, correct? Uh, yes. Okay. Well, then you're being denied to process. If the court rules require this, that, and the other, they're supposed to do it. And if they don't inform you properly, you've been denied due process, and any decision they arrive at is going to be erroneous. Okay, so the first thing you're probably going to have to do, and I don't know, I'm not an attorney, but if, if my God, I wouldn't want to be in that situation, but we've been doing this a few years, so we've learned some things, but I can remember how it used to be. I think that usually your county or something has a type of affidavit, um, like affidavit of homestead or something like that, where you can make up your own affidavit of homestead affidavit that you live in the house and you have lived in the house and you've lived there continuously since, you know, however long you've lived there. And you put that in with a motion and that you motion the court. Do you, do you know what the rules are where it says that you're supposed to receive these notices? Well, there's, um, there's one that's an administrative rule that pertains specifically to um, the foreclosure process. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one. And then the other just simply says that 
just about initial case management. When well, I not brought, case management. I'm just talking about where you're supposed to be mailed notices from the court. Um, and that, I don't know. I'd have to look that up. You need to look it up in your rules because I'm telling you, it's going to be there. I have, I've had to do this with my federal cases. Okay, so you need to look it up, you know, not only receiving notices from the other side, but from the court itself, because in just as in an aside, once a judge rules and closes a case at the federal level, you will no longer receive any notices if there are additional filings like a filing for attorney's fees or something like that if you lost the case. So at that point, you're not getting to you're not getting due process. You don't know what's going on and they're going, they're forging forward with stuff. So in your case, you need to look this up and find out there's going to be rules of the court. There's going to be local rules and there's also going to be rules that the, um, the, um, the clerk operates by some type of administrative rule. And if you can put those together in a simple one page motion that says, you know, I'm the defendant in this action, the, Plaintiff in this action put in this erroneous document, attached is my affidavit, which states that I've occupied this property, blah, blah, blah. According to this rule, I'm supposed to receive all paper notices of filing from the court. According to this administrative order, I'm supposed to be receive notices from the court. To date, I've received no notices from this court. Please see my affidavit, which states I've received notice, notice from the courts. Because, of, because the court has not notified me of what's going on, I've been de denied due process. Um, you know, and then wherefore, I moved the court to um, send me any notices from any, for any actions or any notices required for the court to send me any notices and that any um, and whatever you want to strike if you want to strike any decisions by the court that they'd be stricken and that you can reopen to deal with them because you've been denied due process you file that as a motion and then you file a file a motion for hearing that you want to have an immediate hearing on this and 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 I'd do it where you get an emergency hearing and you're going to have to go in there and, you know, and press the issue that this is my house. And I've been trying to figure out w w what's going on. And I think I've figured it out. And I've put in my affidavit. I've put in this. Here's what the other side did. And it's causing me distress. And I'm being, and it's denying me due process. And you need to do something about it. And that's basically, if you do that and you have a court reporter, if they don't do something for you, you can go to the media. But you got to do it, and you got to act quickly, you know. And then from now on, the thing I'm hearing, like you know how the how the the other side wanted to strike your your discovery. Well, that's again, that's a denial of due process. They can't just go in there and strike discovery. You can go ahead and strike their discovery if you if you you know if you want to do that. And you should be given the opportunity to amend your answer and your affirmative defenses. Now I got a question here. What is the basis on, upon which they're requesting to strike your discovery? How is it that they're justifying that? Oh well, for the the request to for request for admissions, they were saying that they that I again that I had weighed in more than thirty admissions. So that was the first thing. 
that's second... valid. That's okay. valid, and you have to pare it down to the amount within your rules that you're limited to. So yeah, we next... talked about that before. Yeah. To next one. So the second one, which was again, was just uh, the request to produce. And again, they came back and said, "Well, we only got the definition pages. We didn't get the request." So you send it again, and you you sent it to them certified return receipt. I sent it to them initially certified return receipt. Then I faxed them to them, and then I put them back in the mail, and they responded. To them, I guess because my response in opposition to their motion to just strike had all the information in there that I had faxed it, that I had sent it certified, right. that I sent letters to them, you know, mm-hmm. and so so they responded, but they responded with nothing. <laughs> then you have to immediately move for a motion to compel, and again, you just you just. You tell them that it's deficient. You've got 48 hours to do this. I'm going to file my motion to compel. And you file your motion to compel, and then you file your, um, your, your motion to call it for hearing. You have to do boom, boom. You hit them both there, and you just call it up for hearing. And as John said, you want to have an emergency. Yes. So I hearing for the other one. But let me, let me finish. And so... Okay, say you're facing that situation. I'm like, Dave, Dave, you didn't answer my discovery. I'm going to give you 48 hours. If not, I'm filing a motion to compel. I've got my motion prepared. I'm just going to go down and file it if it's not in the mail on on Wednesday. You understand? He's like, yeah, okay, you know, whatever. Whatever he does. It doesn't come in the mail on Wednesday. It doesn't come across my email, whatever. I'm down to the courthouse. I file that. But I've also talked to the judge's judicial assistant to find out an open calendar date for a hearing. There's two types of hearings. There's hearings where you need less than five minutes and hearings when you need more. And so there's a general motions hearing, which, you know, because your discovery, you know, is it really going to take you five minutes? No. You know, the judge is going to have it there. He's going to look at the other side. Why don't you answer these things? They're going to they're going to hem and haw, but you don't need that long to present. So why give them more time for an argument? So call up. You get a you get a date and time from the judicial assistant for the hearing. You put that down on the motion, and then you've properly put the motion in with the date and time pre-requested. All they have to do is rule on it, which they're going to do because you followed the procedures. And you're in the door a lot sooner that way. You got to move the court for what you want. Okay. So, all right. So, um, so despite all of the stuff that I've been encountering with this judge, that I should still um, move forward, even though they don't consider, and this is in their standing order, they don't consider a motion to compel discovery as an emergency motion. No, it's the it's the emergency motion is the motion that you need to clear up the whole basis of the problem, which is the idiots on the other side filed this document. They say, I don't live in my house. Here's my affidavit. I live in my house. Straighten this out, court. I'm being denied due process. Okay. That puts the judge on the spot. That's one issue. That's one hearing. Okay. Once you get that taken care of, then they really should start things over again and give you more time. You can move for that, that you need to, you need to be able to do things again. 
You're just going to, you know, see if you can do this one thing and then we can talk about the next bits because you're going to need to be able to move for these other things you want to occur. But you need to, you need to get this one done as part of an emergency because it is an emergency. You, you're living in your house and you're being denied due process and you're getting the bums rush from the court. The, the court is in cahoots with the other side because the other side lied to them. Yes, yes. Okay, uh, you know... And 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 not to put you off on a tangent, but I've been trying to mull this over in the back of my mind where that is like an unfair and deceptive trade practice that they're doing. And that that lawyer is a debt collector. Okay, I don't know if you sent the have you sent them a debt validation letter? I just put and I just filed based off of a conversation we had a couple of a week or two calls ago. I filed them a notice of dispute that said, yes, I want to validate the, I want to know who the creditor is, the, you know, the, all of those things that were in the letter, yes. Okay, so you did that in the court filings or you did that just you mailed it to them? Oh. Okay, good. Okay, that, that's good. But because they did this way back when, they, they, whoever did it, whichever law firm at the time, was it was unfair and deceptive what they did. And that's been causing you the most problem throughout your whole case. And a, a deceptive representation as it relates to an alleged debt, to me, could open up FDCPA. Yes. So, one, I do believe that there is a lot of FDCPA violations in this case, just being on the call that I've just discovered, right? So mm-hmm. when, I, when I look at FDCPA and understand that um, not only is the law firm a debt collector, and even though I have the securitized trust, but the fact that they allegedly assigned the, they did assignment of mortgage when it was in default to Dutch Bank, says that Dutch Bank is a debt collector. Right. Well, you know, any creditor that that acquires the the loan after default is a debt collector. And any servicer that becomes a servicer after the loan is in default is a debt collector. So, yes, yeah, so I have so that I get so the the thing is is why I do think there's a number of FDCPA violations. One, I was never served the notices that are required first in my mortgage. There was never a notice of intent prior to foreclosure. Right, was, but that but you're talking for that you're talking about back before 2010 or in 2010, right? Right, before that. That's beyond the statute of limitations. I'm talking more in more recent times. Yeah, your so, statute of limitations is one year on FTCPA. Right. But if they come to argue against, uh, against your motion to, you know, set the record straight and get you some mailings, then they're going to be they're going to have to make an affirmative statement against your affidavit saying no, you don't live in your house or whatever. They're going to have to make something that's going to set them up for FTCPA. Okay. Okay. And so that that's one thing, and you need to you need to deal with your discovery issue. But there's another way to get at them for that discovery, 
And that is with a motion to dismiss because they lack standing. Yes. You know, if if they're not the proper party, then they can't be in the plaintiff's shoes. Okay, forget about party entitled to, you know, or or whatever. As the plaintiff, the plaintiff has to have standing. And so if they can't show every time that loan was transferred from when it was originated to when they became the plaintiff, then they don't have a clear chain there to have standing. That's the end of it. And if you allege it, they have to prove it up. Right. Standing can be challenged at any time. Yeah. The only, the only way they can prove it up is to come up with all the documentation, the, you know, the original note, the allonges and all that stuff. So that's where, you know, you can struggle. People can struggle for the discovery, but the motion to dismiss is more powerful. Because you, you smack them twice with a motion to dismiss, that's the end of it if you win both of them. Smack them twice with the motion to dismiss. You do a motion to dismiss, and they, they, it, the court dismisses with leave to amend. Then they get to amend their complaint or amend whatever they do, and they come at you again. And then if they lose a motion to dismiss a second uh if they get dismissed, no, excuse me, I'm getting confused here. If if the case gets dismissed and gets dismissed again, then they can't come back against you again. It's dismissed with prejudice. Okay, so if I hear what, so, okay, so. You're fading away. I'm having trouble hearing you. Sorry. Okay, so you're saying that. So I've got to do this affidavit. So just around the motion to dismiss, I should just file a motion to dismiss because yes, they do lack standing. So, so, but it. Ha- I thought that a motion to dismiss had to be pled with specificity. Yeah, it's specific that they're not the they're not the proper party. They've produced no evidence. There's no evidence attached to the complaint that shows that they're the proper party. This is true. And you can put an affidavit into that effect if you need to that, you know, you received a notice from this one or that one or the other one. But why fill in the blanks for them? Make them prove it up. And you've requested validation and you've requested a QWR and they haven't provided you that. Now, those might be violations of RESPA or, um, you know, FDCPA, but you've requested to, you've requested the chain of ownership and they failed to provide it. And what state are you in? Illinois. Okay. I don't know what the law is in Illinois. In Florida, they have to send you a notice 30 days um, before they intend to take any legal action when a new company has acquired a, a debt, a mortgage, or whatever. So you need to check your state rules and see if there's anything like that there where they have a notice requirement for you. But um, I believe under federal law, they do have to, and Jesse could tell you on the call tomorrow night, they they have to notify you when a new, uh, there's a handshake, when the new creditor steps in and they have to send you a notice notifying a new creditor, just like they got to send you a notice notifying you of a new servicer. Right. We're going to have to wrap this up. We've got other people in the queue. 
I'm sorry, Dave. I can't. No, no, that's that's all right. But I, we just got to wrap things up here. We've spent a bunch of time here. She's got to do that first motion and get the court straightened out so she starts getting notices. Okay. I thank you so much. Thank you for the time. You're very welcome. All right. We are going to go back down to Florida. We seem to have a bent for Florida night. Southeast Florida, you've been unmuted. Go ahead. Hi, this is Maria. Hi, Maria. How did your depot you go? Oh, God, it was a nightmare. <laughs> I, I, um, I did good in certain areas where I know that they were trying to pressure me and giving them an answer, and I refused to give them what they wanted. Um, but in other areas, I try with keeping my mind in what um, what they said always tell the truth. So when she came, she came, um, and, and I knew that for me to be able to object to questions when I'm trying to think of the question, whether I should answer or not, was a little bit more difficult. I did try to take my time in answering the question. Um, I didn't necessarily give them what they wanted, but I know that I did make some comments that I shouldn't have made. But um, I'm looking to, and, and guess what? What I thought they were going to do, they did. And, and I screwed up royally because they ambushed me. And the, the, plaint, the um, attorney for the other party, for the, for the bank, although I was noticed a deposition by the, the attorneys, the, both of them were there, and they both um, wanted to take my deposition. So when the attorney for the bank started questioning me, I stopped them. I said, no, you can't uh, question me. There's no, you know, you didn't notice me, so therefore I'm not going to have you take my deposition. But I, I, my deadline for discovery was, was, is actually on Thursday, and he's trying to pressure me to, to go ahead and, and um, and give him a date and time so that he can finish the deposition. And I told him, I'm going out of town. There's no way that I can do it. So anyway, at the end of the day, I felt a little pressured into, into completing the deposition and allowing him to depose me. So I, I agreed to it. I messed up because I did not, um, she did not read me the admonition. She only asked me if I had been deposed this before. And then she went on to, to her line of questioning. Um, I did not request to read the transcript. I did send her an email letting her know that I was not waiving my right to read the transcript. Um, she not, did not respond. Uh, at this point in time, we're in really heavy battles because the, the um, requests for production and admissions and interrogatories were due today. They asked me for an extension until Thursday. Thursday is the deadline for my discovery. I said, absolutely not. They went ahead and sent me the request for production, the request for admissions, and I'm missing the interrogatories out of, um, how many, hold on, out of, uh, I had approximately 35 requests for production, and I would say 30, 30 of them were objected to. 
they didn't give me absolutely nothing. Nothing, nothing. Everything was objected to. Everything, everything that I asked for. I know. I noticed that some of the questions that they asked were were um, a little bit broad. But even those those questions that are very specific, they refused to answer at all. They refused to answer at all. So I'm in the process right now of trying to figure out what is my next step. I know that I want to go ahead. Well, since I I did not agree to the extension of time. Okay, first of all, let me go back to the deposition. Can I file a motion to strike the deposition based upon being being um, not complying with the rules, which they did not give me a timely notice, and the fact that they deposed me under duress? Yes, Can't not under duress, but the fact that the fact that um, they didn't. The term that is deposition notice. by ambush. I'm sorry. Deposition by ambush. Okay, so I was right. Deposition by ambush. But that's a yeah. separate motion. The one yeah. that you can get them easily on is the fact that they didn't give you a notice. Well, they sent me. They did send me a notice of deposition. So. Well, no, no. Wait a minute, Maria. Who sent you a notice okay. of deposition? The attorneys for felon notified me of the deposition. And that's the deposition that you went to, right? Exactly. They didn't give me a subpoena. Okay, they didn't subpoena me. They simply requested for me to go. I, I, I agreed to it, and I went. Okay? Now, when I was there, then the attorney forbade you. Then he came in and started asking me questions. Yeah, I we understand that. And that they're the ones that didn't notice you that they wanted exactly. to depose you. Exactly. Yeah. And so how do I go about now the fact is that if I You're changing the subject, Maria, yeah. you need Maria. to complete a thought. No, I'm not yeah. no, yeah. 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 Maria. Maria, not please just... stop stop for a second. You may not realize it, but you're jumping all over the place. Stick with one thought, finish it, and then go to another, please. It's getting confusing. Okay? okay. Please slow down. And complete I'm each one. To, okay. I'm trying to figure out if I can go ahead and strike the entire deposition because they were both taken at the same time by the same court reporter. That is, is that considered one deposition or two depositions? There's two separate attorneys doing the questioning, and each attorney represents a separate party. So the portion that was that you were properly noticed on that you have no problem with is one deposition. When the second attorney steps in there, that starts a second deposition. If they didn't do any introduction or anything, they did it by ambush, and that would be a second reason. You need to do two separate motions because that's like two separate attacks. Number one, the ambush angle. Number two, the portion that was by the Bayview attorney because you were not properly noticed. They can't just slide in on the backs of the other guys. Oh, well, you guys are doing this deposition. Well, I'm going to go ahead and hammer, or I'll just come on over at the same time. No, if somebody else wants to depose you, they have to notice you properly just like the other party did. And right. it has to cover the scope of what the deposition were and everything. I'm sorry? Uh, the, the rules apply to all parties at all times. 
so it's two separate motions that I need to file. That's correct. Are so, we glad that we mentioned the possibility of that to, to Maria? Well, I I I knew that 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 would be a possibility because that's why I asked the question last week. Because I have been deposed before, and I re and I and I realized that the last time that I had a deposition on a matter related to my previous job, they went ahead and, and uh, took, um, everybody was there, and there were about four or five attorneys there, and only one attorney spoke. And the other attorney for the defendant, she just asked me two questions to kind of clarify something that I may have said. But everybody else stayed quiet. So I realized, I said, wait a minute, nobody else, you know, asked me anything. And then at the end of the deposition, I really did say, and this is where I screwed up, and I think I screwed up royally, was that they were just ramming me with the fact that it was the mortgage and that I didn't have to pay the the, the amount that I got and, and the whole bit. So at the end of the deposition, I did make a statement. It says, I want to make a clarifying statement that this is not about the mortgage nor the debt. This is about the way that they attempted to collect the debt and, and and everything along those lines. Then, the, of course, the attorney opposed, and so did the other. Um, when I made that same clarification with the attorney for, um, I what you call it, for the attorney for felon, uh, she objected and said strike. When she says strike, what does that mean? She can't say? strike it because oh, it's on the record. It's part of the deposition. Right, which is why you probably want the transcript, because they can't do that. Yeah, they can't do that. Yeah, and that's why I said, I said, you can't strike my, my, my testimony. No? Exactly. So, so, yeah. so, so that's one thing, but the other thing that's, that's troubling me is your discovery period ends this Thursday, correct? Yes. Okay, and they, they sent you, the only thing, you didn't get interrogatory answers, did you? No, they're, they, they've asked for an extension to submit their interrogatories until Friday. But the discovery's over Thursday. Here, th listen, listen to me a second. What they're trying to do is they're trying to, they're trying to smoke you. What happens is as soon as Thursday passes, that's the end of it. Discovery's over. Any other discovery you get after that, you know, they're not going to provide because they don't have to, because it's after the date. They don't have to provide it because it's after the date, even if you agree to it. But more importantly, on the ones that they gave you a bunch of objections on, you need to do a motion to compel. Even you need to get that motion in to compel in before Thursday. You also No, I'm working I'm working on it to get it in tomorrow morning. Okay. All right. But let me finish. I, I, that's Okay. Let me finish. You also have to put in a motion to enlarge the discovery period because just because you put a motion to compel in doesn't automatically enlarge the discovery period. Well, that's the motion I'm working on, and it's not the motion to, to enlarge the discovery period. It's the motion to amend scheduling order. Good for you. You listened last time. Okay, so okay, you're doing so, that and a motion to compel because you need to have the motion to compel with it because that gives the court like, oh, she's not just dragging her feet. She's really got this issue going on. 
They you gotta yeah. you gotta load it. And and that's what attorneys do is you'll see them put in three or four or five as as Dr. Graves calls the flurry of motions. You'll you, they put a whole bunch of motions in at once, but that's when the court's just gonna read the headlines on them and say, Okay, here's a motion to compel, oh, and a motion to, to modify discovery. Yeah, okay, now that all makes sense, we can deal with it. So so then and then I can also do the, the motion um, for ambush the, the motion for not you can deal with them afterwards. Okay. Okay. Your pri- okay. your 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 most important thing is the motion to compel and the and the other one. And because there's because you know when you look at the rules and if you look at O'Connor's, you're supposed to go one by one for each production and tell you know they objected and why it's not valid and this and that. No, they. Because they, if you looked at it statistically, if you had 35 of them, we're going to say they, and they uh, objected to, you know, they objected to, um, like... 80, 90% of it. Yeah, exactly. They, because because there's so much, this, it's pointless for you to fill the docket up with stuff. So, but you file in, make sure you file in a copy of what you sent them and a copy of what they sent you. Okay, so I do. Although the 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 request for production, um, okay, I'll okay, I'll do that. So what they you understand? What they so Exhibit A is your request for production. Exhibit B is the bogus answers they gave you. Yeah, I and by the way, I did overhear the attorney because what has happened is that she asked me in the deposition. If I had my expert testimony, if I had contacted all the people, um, you know, done any discovering on the other people and so forth. And, of course, I kept in mind to tell the truth, tell the truth. I said no, no, no to all these questions. So um, I went to the bathroom after it was all over, and she went ahead, and I heard her talking to the other attorney. And pretty much he said, she said, no, I think we're good with this one, you know, meaning that since I have not done the discovery that I'm supposed to do and that I haven't been even moving the case along the way I should, then that they don't think that they have any problems. But I was speaking to an attorney, actually, and told me that um, I can go ahead and just right now, based on the information that I have, that I have sufficient information to file a motion for some uh, final summary judgment. Well, actually, no, because I need the discovery stuff the stuff in discovery, once I get that and if they provide me the documents that I need, then I can go ahead and file a motion for a final summary judgment. Because, That's correct. Because of the of the the um the Nash case which states that the um the plaintiff the plaintiff not the plaintiff, the original lender was not licensed to do business in Florida and that that order is huge because in that order the judge refunds the the um the homeowner, all the interest that they paid throughout the time of the loan and pretty much give them the house for free and the bank had to pay them $75,000. So, there you go. So I'm, I'm heading in that direction. Um, I do have mediation coming up next week and they pounded me for me to give them the my um, actual damages. And I wasn't prepared to give a, give them to him to them. Improper. So I, I, that's improper to ask in a deposition. Really? Okay. Well, they grilled me. 
I mean, grilled me. And I know they grilled me with a lot of questions that were in Papa. I know yeah, they did. did that to me, too. And I just said, you know, I'd have to look at, at my paperwork and add everything up. And I don't have that, so I can't answer that question. Well, what is it about? I said, that would be speculation. I will not speculate. If, if, you feel that, if you feel that they were too rough on you or did things that were wrong, just remember you can do a bar grievance on them. Yep. And because, that, because that's a, <laughs> a, a deposition and there's a transcript, you can file in a copy of that with your, with your complaint. Yeah. So I, I, I know that she... Yeah, I know that they were doing a lot of stuff that they weren't really supposed to be doing. And they were taking advantage of the fact that I was a non-attorney. And they thought that I wasn't going to um, pretty much complain. So um, I'm definitely going to apply these two motions, the motion of ambush and the, the not proper, properly noticed. I'm definitely going to file those two. I did file the other two motions, the one to... Uh, for clarification, and the mo- notice uh, the motion for noncompliance, and uh, the attorney for the bank called me today, and I he asked, oh, I, I said, what happened to the motion? I did send them the motion. Uh, you just you just, you just did it again. I know, I know. I'm sorry, guys. I, the com- confidentiality order that I decided not to pursue, I did send it to them just so I can have enough evidence for my motion to reschedule and saying that I have been working diligently and so forth. And uh, he's like, well, you made so many changes and, you know, we got to go over them and this and that. I'm like, forget it. I'm not even going to go there with you. So, but um, I'm just trying to make sure that I get these two order, these two motions into the court tomorrow because they actually, they filed a motion um, to extend the 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 discovery, not um, the response to the interrogatories. And the reason why they say they could not file the interrogatories was because they were waiting for the the deponent or the person who's answering the interrogatories to sign the that um, affidavit, not affidavit, but to get notarized. That's their job. That, that, I you know. That's their job. And, and you can't get them to do it, and they go beyond, you know, the limit. You compel. But the the court is going to give them that because they filed their motion, and you did. And they're going to try to paint you in a bad picture that you they asked for it and you didn't cooperate. But it's but that's forget that. You know, it's it's like fighters. I mean, you just you keep slugging each other and that's what you're doing. You're slugging. You got to slug them hard with the two, with the motions to compel right now. And you need an enlargement of the t- time for completing discovery on the motion to compel. And one of the things in there for the, for the, you know, modifying discovery plan is that they haven't, they're, they're, they're attempting to, um, avoid to, to well, no, they're attempting to stall answering interrogatories to the point where the plaintiff will have no opportunity to compel that's all they're trying to do with you that's why they've asked for this additional time they're they're trying to avoid because then you have nothing to back up when you put an emotion in you know 
This is typical stuff that attorneys do. Especially yeah, when you're new a, under the sun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why I was. I, I I have been preparing and I have been preparing my motion and 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 getting everything done and and I'm ready to, you know, work on it all night long if I have to and get it done so that tomorrow morning that's the first thing I do. Um, is is go ahead and uh, file be careful with that, Maria. What? Yeah. Why? Read it backwards tomorrow morning. <laughs> Read it yeah. backwards. Yeah. It w- sometimes when you stay up all night doing something and you you think you're going to uh, take it in, and you run it to the court right away in the morning. It might be better for you to work on it, get some sleep, come back and check it, and file it a little later in the day, and make sure that you're fully coherent and you haven't made some boo boos in it. Absolutely. So We've my, been my there. Question, okay. My question. My question is this. Um, they filed the motion for extension of, of time to file the interrogator, interrogatories, and they also included a proposed order, and they sent it directly to the judge. So they're not necessarily filing it with the, the, the court system. They're sending it to the judge directly. Well, no. If you read your local rules, um, you'll see that for most of the time, when you when you put in a motion... Uh, when a lawyer puts in a motion, they're supposed to send a copy of the proposed order to the judge, and there's a judge's email address for that. Yeah. So don't don't freak out when you see stuff like that. Yeah. Well, well, it's not it's not about freaking out. It's just then it it puts me uneasy because then what's going to happen with my motion? So do I need to also propose put a proposed order as well? Well, no, you no, you because you're Maria. Per se, you're yeah. pro se. You don't have to do that. Pro se's are precluded from communicating directly with the judge, A, and B, pro se's don't have to put in proposed orders because you don't know how. That's the way they're going to look at it. All you have to do is get it down to the clerk's office, submit it, and get it stamped you know, with a copy for you, too, that you had it in on time. Then the court has to deal with it. A motion, once you put in a motion, okay, for it's something related with time like that. It forestalls everything else until the court rules on it. Yeah, I'm going to make one suggestion here that I, what John said there, either I have seen some courts where pro se's have to provide an order. Most of them do not. Double check with your clerk to make sure. Are you in the Southern District of Florida? Yes. Yeah, no. You read your local rules. Okay. Okay. Read okay. your local rules. Right. Now, always read now, your local rules. Some of the some of the rescheduling orders that I have found and stuff, basically they kind of detailed everything that the the um, the, the attorney has done and and the reasons why they're they're asking. Um, I should do the same. It shouldn't be just black and white. I want to go ahead and extension of time because I want an extension of time. But I should. Be you have to justify it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, That's you have to I show the court. To you got to give the court a reason why you need the time, not just oh hey, you know, I'd like a little more time, you know, because I I spent a lot of time out in the chair in the sun this weekend. I instead of doing this when I should have. She's, she, she's got very you know, good reasons that they provide. They provided you with answers to 
requests for production and 90% of it was frivolous objections and you and you're putting in a motion to compel they they the uh, interrogatories were due they they knew that the time for discovery is running out they they attempted to they are attempting to um, delay the responses so that the plaintiff has no time to compel better answers and so you need more time for discovery you need you need to extend the time for dispositive motions because with extending the time for discovery and with intent for you to put in a motion for summary judgment when you get a proper answer for discovery that you need more time to put in your dispositive motions and you don't have yeah and you don't have any staff or paralegals to assist you in dealing with the flurry of motions right and in the event that the court uh, doesn't grant your motion for summary judgment that you'll need additional time compared to what's on the scheduling order now to prepare your pretrial stipulations and prepare your witness list and prepare this that and the other all the other things that are due you just look down your scheduling order and see when the things are due and make up an excuse for everything that you need to extend you okay. gotta you gotta justify why you're asking that's all. and you don't need a book you only need just a short paragraph on each one okay okay we've got some other people in the queue we got to keep right. rolling here thank you guys all right you're very welcome all right we got a couple more people we're almost at the uh, end of the call here but we're gonna go to Ohio you've been unmuted go ahead hello Ohio hear me oh there you are yeah i had all these things muted (laughs) (laughs) what do you got six mute buttons on your phone i've never seen one of them is that a google phone or something is that what they do with those i don't know i'm in ohio give me a break i'm doing two summary judgment oppositions (laughs) jeez (laughs) yeah okay friday what's up we only got a few minutes left here so we want i want to Get your stuff answered, and then uh, go to Gigi Boss. She's up to bat yet, too. Okay. A couple things. Um, I need a little help with these oppositions. Um, give me your thoughts on this, and then I have another thing that, that they're doing in this uh, summary judgment. The, the one thing they're hitting on is the debt arises out of transactions which are primarily for personal, family, or household purposes. Okay. What they did was in the deposition, they questioned me um, about using the credit card. And we know it's not about the debt. I already had that argument in here. But they asked me what was the purpose in using the card. Okay, and I answered, that's not an answer that I can give you. You have to ask them. Okay, that's what they're trying to use against me. They're saying that because I can't prove this was a debt arising out of transactions which are primarily for personal family or household purposes that I don't have a claim a fair debt violation claim okay that's the one what are your thoughts on that well you have to establish that as a consumer debt for it to fall under the FDCPA okay how do I establish that I alleged it in my complaint okay okay but they're saying because I don't acknowledge the debt that I can't prove that it's a household 
it arises out of transactions which are which are primarily for personal, family, or household purposes. Well, they they asked you that question if if it did in deposition, right? No, they didn't. No, they did not directly ask ask me that question. It says well, this. I thought that's what you just said. Yeah, really. This is what he said. Well, I'm trying to figure out whoever was using the card. I want to know why they were using the card. Was what was their purpose in using the card? Do you know? That was the question. And I answered, "That's not an answer that I can give you. You have to ask them." Now, who who is them? Um, <laughs> that was the question. I guess whoever. <laughs> They it would really be Corey with this, Christine. Well, well yeah. That was the question. Whoa, 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 whoa. Stop, stop, stop. Okay. Christine, for you to bring an action under FDCPA, you have to allege and then be able to show that the debt at issue was a consumer debt and okay. that it was in, incurred for you know, personal or household purposes, et cetera, so on and so forth. If you can't do that, you're lacking in being able to show that it's a consumer debt where the FDCPA applies. But there is case law, and I can't think of it off the top of my head, that when it is a matter of identity theft or debt that doesn't, uh, they, uh, they don't have the right consumer to begin with. Right. Um, that you don't have to prove the nature of the debt because it would be impossible. Okay, that's that's the case law I have, and I found it in our circuit where it says it, when someone files a case against someone, and the, this case was they paid the debt, okay, and there was other cases where they didn't owe the debt, and they made that argument, and they said that, so this is the argument I can use, right, about... Well, the, right. If it's not yours, you didn't use the card. You couldn't possibly know the answer to that. They are the ones who were claiming that it was a debt uh, that they could collect. Then they need to provide that information, not you. Right. Okay. So, what, what, Dave, what you're saying is, is I can use this case law, or Terry, you're saying I can use it. And what Dave, you're saying is, by using this case law, I will prove that it's not, the the burden of proof is not on me because they're the one that tried to collect it. They're the one that took me to court. They're the one that couldn't prove it. They're the one that couldn't produce the agreement. Anything. Yeah, for, they are the especially if they are the plaintiff. No, they are the defendant here. This is Christine's case. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> See, this, the, the problem we have here is she made the allegation in her complaint that the debt arose, uh, it was a consumer debt, arose for personal uh, purposes, all right? Well, if you're alleging that, you need to be able to prove it, don't you? Uh, well, you, can't just, you can't just come along and say, Oh, I didn't really mean that. Let's just discard that, and we'll go with the rest. Okay, but Dave, that's like a catch-22. If you take in the court and you deny you owe the debt and they haven't proven it, you still have to make that allegation, or they can dismiss the case. 
Yeah, but how uh, how did you state it in your complaint? I guess is what yeah what I'm uh, questioning. Just what it says: the debt arose out of transactions which are primarily for personal, family, or household purposes. Just what the code said. All right. See, you're saying that, so to speak, with authority. Like, okay, they they uh, emanated from that, rather than the debt was alleged to have uh, emanated, or you know, been the result of personal. Or uh, I'm having a horrible time with the words for some reason tonight, but. Personal it, it was for personal or household use. See, if you if you make the statement that it was, well, then you have to back aren't you it up. Expe- aren't you expected to prove it? Okay. Because if you can't if you can't prove it, then you, how can you bring an FDCPA action? Okay, there's my point exactly, and that's the catch twenty two. You have right. to allege it. But no, you don't. You can yeah, say you it was allegedly for personal or household purposes. They, they attempted it, to collect a debt was, alleged to be a consumer debt. Right. That might be what I put in my. Wait a minute. That might be what I. I okay. What I put in my complaint was the defendants alleged that it was a debt. Okay, that rose out of a. Uh, the defendant alleged the debt arose out of transactions which are primarily for personal, family, or household purposes. So I didn't specifically say it. I said the defendants alleged it because they took me into state court. Okay, so I actually okay. did not. Well, say then she okay, did. well, right. then you see, I, I ask you questions, and, and you're changing. You're changing up here. You know, uh, it's. A, it's all in the details, right? Right. Yeah, I forgot that. Oh, okay. I've been working right. for two weeks. <laughs> yeah, but it's when you make a statement, then you have to be able to uh, back it up. You, if you stated in there, you know, they alleged that the debt they attempted, or they, they said that the debt they attempted to collect was a consumer debt. Well, then you're just stating what they said. You're going along with that. Right. This is what I said. I just found it. Upon defendant's information, the alleged debt arose out of transactions which are primarily for personal, family, or household purposes. That's what my complaint says. Well, no, no. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Say, read that again. You're, this is. Isn't this your lawsuit where you sued them? Yeah, this is mine. Okay. okay. It says upon defendant's information, the alleged debt arose out of transactions which are primarily for personal, family, or household purposes. Now, see, they took me to state court. No, stop, they, stop, no, stop, no, Christine. just stop. Don't go into that. That's unnecessary. Okay. They just what, handed you the whole thing. Yeah, they, they, what you got there is okay because you pinned it on them. They said it was a consumer debt. Now they're, now they're arguing that you haven't stated it is. <laughs> yeah, they're saying that I'd establish a claim. Because okay, so well, you turn it right around and show them it, it's as stated in in plaintiff's complaint, the defendant categorically stated that the alleged debt was a result of, you know, cons- uh, uh, personal or household use. You turn they, it right around on them. They stated 
same for you. Okay. Okay, that settles that. That's good. Thank you. Okay, now the other one is, um, the other defendant in the one summary judgment is, he's he's coming in and saying, he's a debt collector, okay, first of all. And he's coming in and saying that even though they they may have violated the fair debt and the fair credit, which was an impermissible pull, they're saying that they can't be, um, how are they saying it? I can't find it in, my summer, in their summer judgment. But anyways, they're saying that they're not responsible because they relied on the information. Oh, no, 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 no. No. We just, you okay. know, that was handled, what, three calls ago, David? Yeah, there, there, there's no blame-shifting uh, provision in the FCRA or FDCBA. <laughs> Neither uh, one of them. <laughs> hey, well, I missed that call because I couldn't be on, like, the last we'll play two. play it back. Yeah. It's, that's, that's hokey BS. Yeah. There, you... there is no qualified immunity, nor is there any safe harbor. Not in I in in either statute. Yeah. Strict liability. Strict liability. Okay, so it's and you can li- and you to to help you with that one, you can use the German versus Carlisle. I was just looking at that case, but I didn't get a yeah. chance to read all through it. You don't have to. It's in the first three lines. Oh, okay. Yeah, but the, 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 you you focus on their strict liability statutes. Okay. And if you go into the website for FDCPA uh, in the uh, uh, great FDCPA case law, there's uh, tons of uh, case citations in there about strict liability. Right. And where would I find that at, Dave? Great FDCPA case law in the website. Oh, and uh, taking, taking their yeah, it's in the website. I thought you had one or Jeff, and we're talking about Jeff. No, 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 no. It's, well, I it's, got the same one of mine, but it's in the it's in the what lies in your debt website. Yeah, it's in the taking their money section. Great yeah. FDCPA case law. There's a whole ton of it. There's a, a, a many, many, many case citations in there under the strict liability. Pull that down and print it out and put it on your desk. <laughs> you know what? I think I do have that. In in my files because I think I did. I didn't print it though. It's in my computer. Yeah. Get it out of your right. files. Put it on your desk. Yeah, but any <laughs> either way, either way. Don't harass her, Jeff. We're running way late here, and I want to finish up here. All right. <laughs> Thanks. That that's all I need, you guys. Thanks a lot. All righty. You're welcome. All right. We're gonna go to our last caller tonight. She's we're quarter after the hour here. We're having uh, too much fun. All right. We're yeah, and to- I didn't get to harass anybody. Yeah. Really. Gigi Boss, you're up, and you're the last one tonight. Yeah, save the best for last. That's it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, well, good evening, and um, happy Monday. All right, um, I have uh, the same case with the uh, lady that I'm uh, helping, and she's doing a good job, little old lady. She's doing a pretty good job. However, okay, the... The defendant filed a motion for um okay they they was they filed a motion to dispense with um the mediate mediation 
they filed a motion to dispense with mediation, but in the motion oh. they put. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm confused. How do you file a motion to dismiss with mediation? Dispense. Dispense. Dispense with oh, mediation. Oh, dispense. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, they filed a motion to dispense with mediation back in um, the 2nd of uh, July. Okay. But in the alternative, they said if the court would not grant that motion, that they would um, grant, you know, uh, request uh, 30 days so that the parties can come up with uh, a date that um, that they could, you know, sit down and mediate. Okay. So um, so they gave the date was uh, to the end of July, July 31st. Well, within that time frame, um, uh, the court, yeah, they granted the order, and they basically said, yeah, we'll grant the uh, order um, so that you all can have the 30 days. You can have the 30 days extension, and you all can mediate. Well, um, <clears throat> the old lady, uh, she didn't get, they didn't get to mediate. Um, two weeks out of, from the 15th to the 30th, um, she had gotten sick from some kind of uh, shot she got from the doctor. She um, she went out of town, uh, and when she went out of town, uh, that was when, I guess, when she got the injection, she got sick. She went out of state, actually, and she couldn't get back in state. So someone from North Carolina had to go out to where Terry is to bring her back home. So, of course, they didn't get to mediate, and the time frame ran out. So, um, well, she today, needs to to file a, a motion uh, to uh, uh, reinstate the mediation time based on the emergency medical situation she had. She that she was out of state, out of contact, and uh, had was unable to uh, uh, attend through no fault of her own. Okay, so is it too late to do that? Because that was uh as of the 31st, but as of um, she just received the paperwork today and uh, the other party filed a motion for relief. Um, yeah, well, but she, the, the court doesn't know she got sick. It doesn't know right. anything about why they didn't get the mediation done. Uh, she has to inform the court and say, well, wait a minute here. I have this medical emergency out of state. And I was unable to uh, uh, function uh, to uh, even contact the court regarding right. this matter. Um, you know, I, uh, I I just very recently uh, returned. Uh, and, I'm elderly. Uh, I, I, and... Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. Yeah. Let me back Absolutely. Up yeah. And if okay. she if that gets in the court tomorrow, it's not too soon. Okay. Well, <laughs> we'll be getting it in there tomorrow. But they did follow. They did mention that, and the defendant mentioned that in their motion for relief. Relief, but of course it was a blurb. So um, we're gonna put something in the court. But they're basically trying to say, oh well, she. They didn't put you know the particulars. They just said, oh well, she she was sick and blah 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 blah. So they're trying to get sanctions or whatever. So we're gonna put something in the court. I just wanted to know if it was too. Late no, it's never too late to tell the truth okay. and say what happened. Okay. No, right. no, but okay. you, you put it. She's got to put enough details in there, you know, that uh, right. she was in a, in another state. Uh, you know, she was in Georgia. She uh, got uh, 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 two shots, or you know, whatever, right. Uh, right. and became uh, uh, extremely ill and required. Uh, 
family or, or whatever to uh, come to the other state to uh, care for and assist her uh, and prepare her for a return to North Carolina, right. so on and so forth. She was unable to function and, and notice the court or the other party because of her uh, uh, acute medical emergency. Okay. Well, they they spoke. She got back on the thirty thirtieth, uh, and and they called her on the thirty first, and she basically told them that. But of course, they didn't want to say too much on that. But um, that's no, not but for she, them. I understand. But that. she's got to put it in front of the court, so the court right. uh, knows that you know them want something that's mm-hmm. like, whoa, wait a minute. You know, I wanted to do this, and I had every intent of doing it, but uh, I had this acute medical emergency out of state. Situation, uh, her control. Yeah, right. Outside the situation of beyond her control, and uh, uh, request that the court reinstate the uh, uh, mediation time. But she needs to not fool around till the last second on getting it done either. Right. So they already put in a motion for relief. Um, yeah. Um, well. Okay. And then you're, and then you're gonna, she's gonna want to respond to that motion for relief with. You know, don't don't think that just putting that thing in is going to be a response to that motion. It's not. She's right. going to put a notice, notice of medical emergency. That's what I would do. Notice of medical emergency and inability to uh, uh, participate in mediation. That would be the title of my document. Okay. And then I'd explain what happened, so on and so forth, this, that, and the other thing. And then you're going to want to put a uh, opposition in to their motion and, of course, if the court then goes, oh, well, she was really sick, she was out of state and everything, okay, well, then uh, the court issues an order, reinstates the, the mediation, and denies their motion for relief, and then you you just wind the clock back a little ways. Okay. All right. Great. Now, okay. uh, one more thing. When they, they put in a motion for summary judgment, um, uh, because... Uh, you know, they were they had to get it in by July 20th. And so in this motion, uh, one of the things that they said, I guess this is this is this seems to be the crux of their uh, motion for summary judgment for the FCRA impermissible pull. Um, of course, they're saying, you know, they had they had the right to review um an account for collection, and that gives them the right. But then down here they put that, okay, she, in their request for, in during discovery, and their request for admission, um, where they wanted her to admit or to provide, um, not, no, I'm sorry, request for production, where they wanted her to basically provide her actual damages and how she came up with what her actual damages were. She doesn't have and to have actual damages to get statutory damages under FCRA. No, right. We know that. Has. But <laughs> they're saying because her actual damages, which she put at, at 33.74 or something, um, because because they were so low and so minimal, because it was so minimal, I want to get the exact statement. Hold on just a minute. Thirty-three dollars and seventy-four cents. No, no, thirty-three hundred. Yeah, 70. well, you know what? Minimal is a relative term. That may be minimal to a rich attorney, but it's not to an eighty-five-year-old woman. 
That's true. Mm-hmm. Well, exactly. That is a relative yeah. term, is it not? Uh, yeah. What, what were? How did she end up with thirty three hundred in actual damages over a credit pull? Well, you know, she factored in. Um, you know, she was saying, well, the time she went to try to go to study the paper, the ink, the gas, the going out to the court, the going to the, uh-uh. you know, no. that time. Kind of no. No, that's not damages. That's not damages. That's cost. Okay. No, I'm absolutely not. Well, what what is considered actual damages in for? Because uh, they're saying, oh, it's a soft Yes. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, she got in there about frustration and no. uh, denial of credit. Okay. No. Yeah. No. Well, denial of credit. They're saying, oh, it's a soft pull, so she didn't. Um, you know, she wasn't denied any it didn't, credit. It didn't, it didn't affect her. Yeah, I mean, she if she alleged stuff, she's got to be able to prove it. If yeah. she, you know, can she prove she was denied credit specifically because of what they did? Probably not. Right. That's so why you can't you can't make those claims. Right. But if it's a soft pull, what are the damages? Statutory. There's no actual damages. It's thousand dollars statutory damages. Period. Oh, okay. Well, she got that, but I can't find it. But anyway, I don't think. Yeah, but when you put that other stuff in there, it it makes you look bad because that's improper. There's there's no basis for that. I can't find it um, because I know y'all got to go. But anyway, um, yeah, I'll look back at it because I may be saying something incorrect. But anyway, that was her. Thirty-three seventy-four something. What's her actual yeah. debt? Well, uh, she needs to get away from that. Okay. That's asking for something she's not entitled to. Okay. All right. So the motion to reinstate the motion for extension of time to reinstate mediation. Well, um, darn it. A mo- a motion, uh, motion to reinstate. Uh, 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 time for uh, mediation uh, due to uh, medical emergency. Okay. All right. That's all I had. Okay. All righty. Thank you. Thank you. All right. We're going to go ahead and wrap this Travel and Road show up uh, for tonight. Thanks to everybody that joined us tonight. Uh, thank you, John, Jeff, Terry, for your assistance and uh, help on the call tonight. And uh, it was, I, I think we uh, covered some good material to help some people, and I know that it was beneficial to a, a lot of our other listeners. And that's the the whole idea, because everybody remember, it's your call. It's, it's not mine. I'm just the one that pushes the buttons and, you know, uh, uh, mute. takes it takes people, uh, mute people out of the chat and that uh, don't belong there and stuff like that. So, uh, anyway, uh, we're here every Monday night, as we've said so many times. Again, if you hear us talk about Jesse's website, you can get there by going to knockoutcollectors.net. That's C-O-L-L-E-C-T-O-R-S. Just open a browser. Don't do a search for it. Just open a browser, knock out collectors, like, you know, knock out whoever, but this time it's collectors.net. Actually, .com works too, but... Uh, 
www.jessica.net. And that will take you to Jesse's site. You put your name and your email address in. That's a, a opt-in for spam. And that will put you on the email list so you get the information about uh, upcoming calls and webinars and stuff like that. And tomorrow night it is a members-only webinar in our summer webinar series. So don't uh, don't be left out of that. If you're not a member yet, get in, get signed up so that you can attend the webinar tomorrow night and that's, find where that – what were you going to say, Terry? That's going to be uh, – the subject matter for tomorrow night is FCRA challenging and and disputing with the credit reporting agencies. Okay. And this is back to the basics, not really. Uh, that's the webinar series for the summer. So, uh, yeah, Terry's going to be doing that. And uh, this is real good stuff for new people. So if you're one of those people that hasn't become a member yet and you're thinking, well, you know, maybe I should do this, now's your time to get in and take advantage of these things because we're trying to simplify some of the stuff for new people. Because I know new people come and hear about this. It's like, oh, these guys know so much. I mean, they're just so advanced. I'm I'm just new. I just don't understand all this. This is helping you get back to the basics and not into all the intricate stuff to help you help introduce you into the basics. And uh, you know, we all started there ourselves. You know, several years ago, uh, just over four years ago, I didn't know any of this stuff. And if anybody told me I'd be litigating in federal court, I would have told them they're out of their stark raving mind. And here I sit with uh, thirty federal lawsuits going, thirty active federal lawsuits at this moment. Um, well, it's not my idea, but somebody else decided to get a bunch of those going. But the bottom line is you can do it if you decide you want to do it. Stand up for your rights. If you don't, you don't have any. And I don't know too many people in this country that really, really want to sit down and admit, oh, I don't have any rights. Oh, and the reason I don't is because I'm just too damn lazy to stick up for them myself. So don't put yourself in that position, and don't wait until some kind of crisis hits you. Get ahead of the curve so you don't end up behind the eight ball. It's very important that if you think that there's even any kind of a chance you might have something coming, get ahead of it. And even if you don't anticipate any problems now, who knows what the future may hold. We're going to see an economy go right down the tube here, PDQ, in the next few years are going to get progressively uglier. And believe me, uh, the job situation is going to change for the negative and a lot of other things. Interest rates are going to go up, and credit card defaults and a lot of other things are going to start happening again. It's another wave, and all the indications are that it's going to make 2008 look like a warm-up drill. So um, if you yeah. think, well, I don't have any problems now, yeah, I still got my job, I'm okay. Yeah, maybe uh, eight months or a year from now you're on the call and you're, I had no idea that I'd be losing my job. I can't believe this happened. And, uh, you know, now I've got people after me. Don't get behind the eight ball. Get ahead of the curve. Study early. Learn what you should have learned a long time ago. With all of that said, thanks again to everybody that joined us. And if you're a member, we'll talk to you on the webinar tomorrow night. And if not, then on Wednesday night is Terry's call. And if you are not on her mailing list, if you're new, you're not on Terry's mailing list, quick send an email right now to queensongbird at gmail.com. Simply say, 
please put me on the list. You can put that right in the subject line. That's all you need to do. And uh, don't wait until Wednesday afternoon. And her call starts, by the way, at 8 o'clock Eastern time on Wednesday night. And she sends a reminder out with the phone number and the PIN and everything for that. That is uh, on free conferencing. It's on a different system. So thanks again to everybody. And if I don't talk to any of you before then, hopefully we'll talk to you next week on Dallas Debt Discussion because we're here every Monday night. Good night, everyone. Good night. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.